Good morning. Good morning. It's afternoon my time. Good afternoon to you. And you as well. How's it going? It's going well. We're uh, we're in a new year. I haven't talked to you since last year. I know. Are you having a good year so far? Uh, yeah, it's been pretty good. Really. Yeah. Nice. You look like it looks like a new year, new you right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How are you in a t-shirt? Don't you live in Minnesota? I do, but... You know what? The, this effect of living in a cold weather place is like every building I'm in is just so warm that I wear T-shirts year round uh, because like when I'm in California, I wear more sweatshirts and stuff because no one runs their heaters. But out here, it's like T-shirt weather all the time. Mm. OK, you know, we've been we've been talking a little bit, but I feel like we should intro our third here. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So there's this joke that's been going on on AOP for a little while now, which is how long does it take before we mention Steve Sugar and Adam Wathen? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we're thinking, you know, maybe we should just do it right off the bat and also maybe just have um, at least one of them come on. And so we did. Heck yeah. Hey, hey Adam. Hey, guys. <laughs> Thanks for having me on the show again. Oh, yeah. Yep. I like repeat guests. You and I were just talking about this the other day. It's like, why establish a whole new rapport when you can just have the same time no just t- get that over with once tired. and then just milk that guest for all it's worth <laughs> that's right all that, welcome to our game plan <laughs> <laughs> so I th- i'm gonna assume people basically know who you are you're a guy on the internet you make stuff you're independent you just released a course called refactoring ui which i suspect people are familiar with you are someone that i have looked to for inspiration and guidance and all that when it comes to how do you make courses on the internet and sell them to people and make good stuff and care about the details and all that. And I figured this would be a good time while everything is still fresh in your mind to take a trip down memory lane and like go through and get maybe like kind of obnoxiously into the details ab- about this course and how it went and how you promoted it and all that and use it as maybe not a blueprint, but at least some inspiration for people. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Cool. So... Where do you want to start? Uh, let's start at where, where did, what was the conception of this idea originally? Like, I, I, did you set out and say like, I'm going to make a course that looks like this, or was it more organic than that? Uh, me and Steve sort of started talking about the idea of him doing a book last, I guess not last year, but now two years ago. So 2017, around maybe like the spring, March, April sort of time. Me and him were already buddies. He'd kind of seen like some of the success that I had with some of the other product launches that I had done. And he was kind of like, man, like I'd kind of like like to get out of regular working and do something like that. I wonder if I could do like a, a design book or something like that. Um, so that idea was just kind of like planted. And I kind of talked to him about how I think he should go about making sure that that actually works out, um, which basically is you need to start building an audience and start to build some authority on this topic so people actually want to learn from you all right and want to buy stuff from you versus anybody else um and i said you know like the best way to do that that's worked for me is just to be genuinely helpful on the internet and put out great free content and try to help people yeah so you you touched on something i just want to spend a moment on which is that people aren't 100 percent rational purchasers of goods like they like buying things from people that they know and like more than just like choosing the best product period overall. I think there's a little bit of that. And then I think there's just a little bit of it's easier to buy something from someone who has sort of earned your trust over a long period of time. Like you trust that 
the content is going to be good because they've already delivered on so much good stuff. Whereas if John Doe puts out a course and you happen to stumble upon the landing page, that person has a lot more work to do in terms of convincing you that they understand your needs and that they're going to give you the exact content you want in the best possible way when the only point of contact they have with you is like this landing page, you know what I mean? Versus building up goodwill and trust with you for multiple years. Mm -hmm. So when you started talking to Steve about this, when, when did you make the transition to like, maybe I'll help you with this and we should split it in a certain way? We didn't really make the decision to like do a full on partnership on it until like March of 2018 i think was we were out for lunch one day and we were kind of just talking about it and he was talking about how he was thinking about trying to get the wheels turning on actually putting together some sort of product we had just been collaborating so much to that point on everything like all of the design tips tweets and stuff like a lot of them were my idea originally a lot of them were steve's idea originally but we were always collaborating on figuring out like okay like what is what how do you frame this information in a way that someone who thinks like a developer like me is going to see it and be like, yes, I get that. I know how to apply that to my own stuff. And um, kind of what we what we learned kind of working together, uh, learned is the wrong word, but like when Steve was like talking about doing it himself, he was kind of pitching me on like some ideas for how he wanted to structure it and stuff. And I kept having to say like, you're trying to write a book for designers. Like um, you know, like he was thinking, okay, well, I'm going to have this section on like typography, then like a section on like color theory. And it's going to talk about this sort of thing. And it was a bit of an educational process for him. Cause he's a designer. He thinks like a designer. He cares about the things a designer cares about. Um, I had, we kind of had to work together to get him into this world of understanding, like what developers just aren't going to care about and what parts they do care about. And that's kind of how we just honed this like approach to all this content and making it just like super, super tactical. And as here's bad, here's good, here are the exact steps to do that. Um, you will sort of learn about typography and color theory and stuff sort of by accident, but like, we're not trying to teach you that we're trying to teach you how to make a concrete improvement to something. We kind of like realized based on the amount of that we we're working together on this stuff and kind of refining the messaging around all the existing content that we we're putting together that it was going to be hard for him to have like to succeed at it to its full potential um, without having someone who thinks like a developer, like heavily invested in the project to sort of work with, to try and do a little bit of that translation to figure out how do we take these design topics and kind of transform them into something that's really going to click um, for developers. So uh, we kind of figured like, I think if we do it together, it's going to be more than twice as successful as it would be if either of us did it apart and we're good friends and we love working together on stuff. So we decided to just kind of tackle it as a, a partnership, just like a 50, 50 sort of thing. Where did the decision to focus on developers come from? Was that the original conception of the idea? I think in a lot of the sense it was uh, because he was talking about like, okay, well, I'd like to build my audience and stuff. And I'm a developer who like has struggled a lot with design and cares a lot about design. And I don't have numbers to prove it or anything. I guess I kind of have some numbers now, but at the time I didn't really have numbers to prove it, but I just kind of had this gut feeling that there are a lot of people out there like me who have all these ideas for side projects 
and they want to build them. And the first thing they have to do is put some UI in the interface so that you can actually do the stuff that you want to make this tool do. And immediately you're kind of like disheartened and blocked because of like, I can't make this look like Stripe. Like, why can't I do it? And it's just frustrating. And it kind of makes you just just give up on stuff or you use like Bootstrap or something, which is a great tool, but like everyone uses it and all the sites look the same. And, you know, you want something to like look polished and professional. And I think a lot of like developers who care about stuff like TDD and clean code and stuff like that care just as much about having a polished visual interface for their products too. It's just, it's sort of this just like built in thing where you just care about quality in all aspects. Right. And when there's an element that you just can't do, it's like super, super, super frustrating. And I know that's how I felt. And I worked really hard for a lot of years to get to some baseline level of being able to make stuff look pretty good. Um, so I just had this feeling that there's got to be a lot of other people out there like me where this is like a real pain point for them and they would really appreciate someone creating content that would help them get better at this stuff in a way that's really designed around how they think about stuff, you know? I imagine that like once Steve and you were sharing the the design-based hot tips a lot and those were getting a lot of lift, that was probably a really good signal to you guys, right? That like, okay, there may be something here. There's some interest in this. What was the trajectory like on the the amount of like virality to those? Did they kind of just start taking off right away or was it just a gradual build of more and more people noticing them and sharing them around? Yeah, it was it was gradual in a sense, but it was like a pretty fast sort of um, thing. Like, I'll see if I can pull up like Steve has all those organized in like a, a moment on Twitter. I don't think they're organized by date or anything, but. I can kind of go back and find some of like the older ones and just to clarify to people, these are design tips in tweet form, almost always with a screenshot of a like, don't do this, do this instead. Here are the CSS changes to go from A to B. Yeah. And the CSS stuff wasn't necessarily like the main value proposition, but, but yeah, there was, a, we always try to annotate it with information that would be helpful to someone designing for the web. Right. And, and that was always like our context of, okay, someone wants to know how to make this shadow. Well, we could show like a screenshot of the Photoshop shadows panel, but developers aren't using Photoshop. They're using CSS. So, um, yeah. So just kind of looking back here, I can see like there's some from like June of 2017, where we got like 49 retweets and like 750 likes, that sort of thing, which at the time was like, whoa, that's huge. But now basically anything that Steve tweets that's a tip like this gets like at least probably 2,000 likes um, and like 400 plus retweets. There's one, we did this tip about like, don't be afraid to think outside the database, which I thought was a really perfect example of something that's like super targeted at like how developers design interfaces, um, which, which is, which is, is good information for me because like, this is the sort of mistake that a developer makes, like someone who's, who's in the data and wants to present it, like someone who's a struggling designer or learning to be a designer, isn't going to make this same sort of mistake in the same way. But anyways, this tweet ended up with like, 3.8 thousand retweets and 14,000 likes. It's like the biggest one by far. And that was like a real signal that like, okay, we found like one of these tips that's like, that really hits hits on like the developer market really specifically. And that's the one that took off the most. So, you know, that was just some good validation for like, yeah, like there is, there is opportunity to, 
try and help this specific group of people in a very in a specific way that's really tailored to how they think about things and the sorts of problems that they run into based on the way that they work. Yeah. So Steve's original thing was like, hey, I think I might want to make a product that talks about the kind of things that you and I are talking about, which is how to do design well as a developer. And then the real first step was start building an audience, start doing useful stuff for strangers on the internet. Like these tweets are free. I, I don't even think they had like promo for an eventual course. It was just like, here's a no, useful nugget for, of For infer- the longest time, they they weren't even like, they didn't even have like any sort of branding on them to like tie them back to where the image initially came from or anything. Like we sort of improved them slowly over time in that sense. So now like there's, they're a lot more consistent in terms of how they're styled and stuff. And you can kind of see, yeah, that's a refactoring UI tip. Um, but at first, everything was just kind of, one-off you know what i mean as we were trying to figure out what's the the best format and way to way to do this stuff i imagine that's the the biggest lesson we'll take away from here that people have probably already heard us say but is that you started with the audience like you didn't start like that's absolutely like the the most important thing right like like steve had a product that he released before this this heroicons product which is a really cool set of like um larger icons like the sort of icons he was having like the feature section of a marketing page and he did like a really good job at making them like really easy to customize with CSS. So you could change the colors of different elements, of the icons and stuff, which was really cool. And he kind of launched that in sort of the, I have an idea for product. I'm going to make the product. I'm going to launch it sort of way, see what the market says. And it did okay, right? I think he's he's done maybe like 25 grand total on it in like the two years that it's been out, which is awesome for like a side thing that you just put out, but it didn't have like a huge launch day or anything, right? Like he maybe made like eight grand on the first day or something. And that was after he had been building his audience a little bit. Like he had put out a couple of these tips and stuff, but he hadn't really built it to the magnitude that we were able to kind of grow it to before uh, we launched the book. Yeah. You're, you're on his Twitter right now. How many followers does Steve at these days? Uh, right now, Steve is at uh, 43,700. 33,000? 43,000. 43,000. And where did he, where was he like back in before the refactoring UI stuff and the hot tweet tips and stuff? I think he had something like a thousand followers or something, maybe less than a thousand at the beginning of 2017. So he's grown his like audience by like probably close to 50x yeah. in, in by two being years. Useful on the internet just by being useful and and i mean the example that i gave at in the microconf talk was i showed like the sorts of things that steve was tweeting before he was really focused on building his audience and the tweet was like you know uh friggin rogers trying to charge me more money for uh my cell phone plan or something you know the typical things that people just post on social media things that everyone posts but now he basically doesn't tweet anything unless it's like his Twitter is a source of content for other people. It's not like an outlet for his personal frustration. Like most people treat social media. Like he doesn't tweet anything unless it's being tweeted to be helpful to other people or, you know, to help promote the book, that sort of thing. But, um, you know, it's, it's night and day difference. Like when you have like a, when you have a Twitter account or anything like that, where, you can craft it so that like the signal to noise ratio is just like really, 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 really high. Um, and 
people know like when they see like Steve's avatar show up in their Twitter timeline, like, Oh, this is going to be good. You know what I mean? That's sort of like the, the expectation that has been set now. Um, and I think that's why, you know, the audience grew. So there, there's that element. Then there's just, of course, like, I think the content that we were putting out was really, really good and really helpful to people, which is why it took off with getting all the retweets and likes and stuff. Um, which again was really good validation, but yeah, just, being as helpful as you possibly can and not souring that with stuff that's not helpful. You know what I mean? Like be helpful or be nothing. <laughs> and like the, and the ratio of just free value to promotional type of tweets, I think is like key as well. Like if half of his tweets were just like, here's a coupon code to refactoring UI or something like that, then totally. that would probably, you know, have a negative impact on. Yeah. Following, so. and, and, and even like, like I've kind of been talking about, we had this idea that Steve would be working on some sort of product. He wanted to put out some sort of educational product like close to two years ago at this point is when we first talked about it. But we never like talked about that in in public. We never said like, keep your eyes peeled. We're going to put out a book one day, two years from now or whatever. It's just give people stuff for free and don't worry about trying to get money from them. And then once the audience is there and people are asking you to put together something because they want to repay you for all the value that you've created for them, then, you know, put the work in and put something out and put it out there. So in some ways, it's kind of like I, I can't decide if I feel like awkward about the fact that it's like, OK, in some ways it was a bit strategic right like we knew we wanted to do a product eventually it's not like it was like totally selfless from the beginning it's not like we're just going to create free content forever and ever and ever and we're just such wonderful and nice people that all we want to do is help people for for free or whatever um but i think it is important to get satisfaction just from seeing people get value from stuff and having people say you know, I just applied this to my design and it really improved it. It's like, that's awesome. That makes us, us feel really good. Um, but yeah, at the same time, there was like intention there to like build this audience so that it, it would be valuable to us at some point in some way, you know, and we didn't necessarily know exactly what we were going to make the whole time. Um, but if you're going to, if you want to release products on the internet, having a big audience of people who you know, really love what you do is the biggest lever that you could possibly have. Like there's literally no other thing that you could do that can make up for like not having an audience. Like, and, and the opposite is true too. If you have a huge audience of 50,000 people who think you're awesome and are so grateful for all the free stuff you've made them over the years, you can do literally every other thing wrong when it comes to marketing and launching your product and you will still have more success i think than someone who does every other thing right and has no audience yeah you know? i love that like the your at least financially your results are like the number of subscribers times your conversion rate times your price and i feel like the su subscriber number is the the one that you have the best shot at like really pushing price maybe too if you're good at creating like a high value kind of thing but like especially as a new person you're probably not going to do much better of a conversion rate than you know average or say so but the sub the subscriber one is the one you can really focus on. Like you could double or triple that in a way that you can't double or triple price or conversion rate. I think. Totally. Yeah. Also, like those forty three thousand followers are not are like are an asset that has he, Steve has created. It's not like 
if you if you started a product first and then we're like, oh, I should build an audience for this of people that know about it, then you're kind of like tying that audience to the product. And so the next thing you do maybe doesn't benefit so much from the previous work. But because these are all these people that just like and respect and have gotten value from Steve, whatever the next thing he does is likely to be that much more successful too. For sure. Yeah. It really, it really is a crime that Steve is not on here. <laughs> We're talking about him in the third person a lot. Is he, yeah, it's okay. Is he free right now? You, do you want me to message him? Yeah, let me. I'll message him. Let me just. I, I feel like a jerk, especially because we just keep talking about him. <laughs> Are you pinging him? I'm pinging him. Okay. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, friends. Hey, buddy. Can you hear me? <laughs> I can hear you. Yeah, sounds like you're all wired up properly. Yeah. Are you guys mid-podcast right now? We are. Yeah. And it's my okay. fault. I'm sorry. I, I'm a bad host. I should have thought to invite oh. you both. Don't worry about it. I just... Adam and I had been talking, and so he was like top of mind, and I forgot I had forgotten half no, the duo. No, I'm glad you uh, included me in this. So Yeah. We just, we, we just spent like 15 minutes talking about you in the third person, and so... <laughs> um, I think we could just leave all this in, I think. Just have your entrance be that. I think so. Cool. So, so Steve has joined us. Uh, bad hosting by my part. Uh, I'll take the, the the blame on this one, but I'm glad you're here now. Yeah, first timer. <laughs> Welcome. You guys talk about me all the time. I know <laughs> it, that makes it like extra jerky. So I'm I'm glad we're remedying this now. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna catch you up. Adam said uh, that refactoring UI is a success because of his work on it, and uh, that the images barely mattered, and it was all the text of the book that was was really valuable. <laughs> That sounds about right. Yeah. No, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Does that sound right let's, to you? Let's, let's hear your side of the story, Steve. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe I don't give myself I, enough I never, credit. I never said that. No, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> the goal of the episode is to like do the whole arc of refactoring UI, like from the beginning all the way through where we're at now. Um, and we've talked up through basically like, okay, you've decided to do it. You and Adam are partnered up. You're putting out all these fire tweets. People are getting excited. There's like a lot of content out there. And our takeaway of that first section is mostly like focus on your audience first before you're trying to make the product and like build up that trust and and goodwill. Yeah. That's what you've, you're just recapping right now, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's where we're at. Um, And we're also like in awe, you have the most Twitter followers of all of us, which is embarrassing for me. I bet if we added up all our Twitter followers, it wouldn't, it would be pretty close. It seems like your tweet techniques have now changed to only tips, basically, and no like. I know I don't anecdotes. tweet that much. I haven't tweeted that much over the holiday, and uh, I just try to only tweet like gold, like just the best possible thing possible. Steve does have more followers than all of us combined. God by the way, it. I just checked. All right, I changed my mind. You're off the podcast. <laughs> Mute this channel. And uh, I, I probably did it in the shortest period of time too. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you I, did. I had about. Uh, I started doing the hot tips about a year and a half ago. And before I did them, I had about 1,500 followers. Uh, so it took me about a year and a half to get to what am I now, like 43,000. Well, okay. So it turns out that works. The Twitter account, I'm kind of like the face of refactoring UI. But like, it's it's Adam and I equally, right? Like even the hot tips. Like, I mean, like I started just doing them on my own and they were kind of like not, not as good as like now they've kind of turned into this like super high quality we put a lot of thought into them like it used to be like oh i was working on a project and i thought of this idea of like oh that's kind of an interesting insight and i took a screenshot of what i was working on and tweeted it right and then adam had a lot of really good ideas and we kind of talk about them and 
and now I've kind of created this whole like you know this before and after image. It's from the point like where we first have an idea for like what a tip could be. I work on them like very passively. Like I'll have a sketch file with like all my tips on them, and I might have an idea, and I'll like maybe take a few screenshots of where this I've seen this idea happen, and then you know I'm doing a lot of back and forth with that. I'm trying to figure out like what's the best way to communicate this idea we want to say, and then when it's like tip day. Like I jump on a call with Adam and we're like trying to figure out what's, that's, how do we phrase this? That's so interesting. Like it, they come off so cat, they come off like a thing you just dashed together. You're like, I was working on this thing and I happen to notice like this one concept and they feel like conversational and like it, it came together very easily, but it, it's clear that's not quite the case. No, it's like, they're like blog posts in terms of effort, right? And it's just that the, the medium where they're delivered is Twitter. So they have to be short which makes it really, honestly, makes it harder. <laughs> and it was way harder in the 140 character days. Like the big hack that we usually use is putting text into the image, um, which, yeah. Those are kind of like micro tips. You know what I mean? There's like the kind of the high level tip. And then there's like the little micro tips within the image as well. And from like birth of a tip idea to like tweeting it, it's like sometimes like two weeks, right? Yeah, and then from like actual time spent actively chatting back and forth and working on the actual design and writing the tip, like we the days that that happens, that's usually like a 3 or 4 hour process without doing anything else, just like working on that for like 3 or 4 hours. Yeah. For the most part, like some of them are very natural. Some of them just come out, right? Some of them are like, "Oh, I got this idea and I spend an hour on it and I and you know there's a few like that yep that's an interesting thing to be aware of like when we when Adam's saying or you're saying like be useful on the internet is a great way to build an audience it doesn't mean like be casually easily conveniently useful it's like put a lot of work into being useful like the reason a thing gets thousands of retweets is because it is resonating and it's really good like if you're if you're doing this like oh I'm putting out content but it's not really working it's probably not good enough it's probably not putting hours and hours into each little detail like you guys were doing yeah 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 <laughs> yeah <laughs> so <laughs> so another thing that is like hitting me as you guys are talking is it, it it makes sense to me that you had success with this partly because of this thing I heard, which is like what makes good co-founders or like partners in an, in an, uh, an effort, which is similar values, but complementary skills. You have the designer developer pairing that I think made this thing so much better than either of you could have done on your own. I agree. That's what I was kind of getting to before. Like when we were kind of talking about doing it, um, the reason that it made sense to partners, because we were pretty confident that it would do more than twice as good with both of us working on it than it would um, with either just me working on it or just Steve working on it. So, um, and that ended up being, I can't A, B test reality, but I mean, it did pretty good. So um, I think that probably was true. <laughs> yeah. So you're doing these tweets, the audience is building, you've got a mailing list, you've like chosen some positioning, which is like, you know. Yeah, so we kind of skipped some stuff there in terms of like, we have a mailing list. Um, I don't know when we actually created the mailing list. I'm looking at our ConvertKit account now to see like when did we send out like the first email. Uh, October October 4th, 2017 is when we sent out the first email. And um, that was to 3,686 people. So um, this part of the story that I kind of even 
forget about sometimes is we had this idea for refactoring UI as like a brand and as like a website uh, to be kind of like, um, we were going to focus it purely on this, this idea of case studies where we'd have people submit their projects and we would kind of pick the ones that we think we could do the most interesting things with in terms of improvements and not rehashing stuff that we had kind of covered in previous case studies. And we are going to write up these like big in-depth posts. And our original plan was like maybe do like one a month or something where we redesign the site and kind of explain every single change and why it works and stuff. I think we even naively said once a week, but that was (laughs) (laughs) at one point. Uh, (laughs) We've only ever done one ever, by the way. Um, (laughs) But uh, so we had this idea to do that and uh, we were like super amped about it. We were like, yes, this is, and that's where like the name refactoring UI came from, right? Because we thought before and after we can do these like bigger examples. This will be really cool. Uh, people will get a lot of value from it. And um, so we put together like a page for that idea and kind of shared it out on Twitter. And we were kind of like, we're starting this project where we're going to do these case studies, where we're going to redesign people's stuff for free and kind of explain all all the changes that were made. So that's what we used to build, like to start building any sort of list. Um, And that's where we got those 3,600 subscribers from that we sent out that first case study to. Now, I don't know when we put up the landing page for that project because certainly it probably took us a month to write that case study. So it was probably like a month of collecting emails that we got that 3,600. And I had a much bigger following than Steve at the time, and I was sharing it too. Um, So I already had enough of a following that like kind of helped us jumpstart that mailing list, I think. And Steve was growing his following at the time. So we sent out that email. We wrote this big case study. I think it was really good to 3,600 people. And that's kind of where the mailing list started. Now, we kept collecting more emails on that kind of because we were still planning on doing these case studies. And then eventually we realized these case studies are really hard. Maybe we should try and like diversify our content a little bit. Like maybe there's ways that we can do some other stuff that's like a little bit quicker to produce. And that's where like the idea for um, doing these screencasts that Steve has been doing came from, um, which was like doing these case studies as blog posts is super, super hard because you have to try and explain every detail and they end up like being really long. Um, Whereas if Steve can like take a design and sketch and improve it and kind of talk through what he's doing, that's first of all, it's a way higher bandwidth way to kind of see the changes. It's sort of like more engaging and entertaining and it's like quicker to put together. So we thought maybe we can start incorporating some of that stuff too, as well as maybe we can do like some content that aren't case studies because we had some ideas for like articles that we wanted to write. So the next piece of content that we put out wasn't until February. So we sent out that email in October with the case study. Then we sent out an email in February. So no emails between October and February um, with this, this blog post that we wrote Uh, on Medium called Seven Practical Tips for Cheating at Design, which was really just curating some of our favorite stuff from Twitter and expanding on it a little bit more with like a little bit more in-depth examples and stuff. And that ended up going out to 8,000 people. So we kind of a little over doubled the list size between October and February. And that was just people signing up because they saw like the case study and thought it was good or ended up on the landing page because of whatever other reason. Um, I'm not good at knowing where all, all this information, all this stuff comes from or tracking it super well. So the thing that I like here and that I'm noticing is it's like, not only are you putting together these tips that are sometimes painstaking and took a lot of work, but you're making a case study, which took a month 
And then it's like, how about some videos? And oh, what if we also did a like medium post, which is rehashing some of the same content, but it's like different formats, different things, all of this like heavily invested in like the case study is good. The videos are great. The medium post is what like the top one in the top 10 medium posts ever. Top five. Top five. Okay. No big deal. Um, It's number five. so (laughs) (laughs) So it's like it's still just like it's kind of a relentless onslaught of really useful free valuable stuff yeah and i think um it's not even like we were i mean we did work hard on this stuff but you can see like the gaps between when we release stuff is not it's not like we're doing something every week or anything like that but when we do release something we like really want to knock it out of the park with it, right? And another example I've seen of someone doing this really well that I always point people to is like Wes Boss. Um, a lot of people think of like, okay, I have this like really great premium product and I want to create these like little lead magnets to like get people on my list. You know, people use this term lead magnet, which like I fucking hate. Um, but uh, yeah, so so people make these kind of like, crappier little things to try and like attract people to their stuff what Wes does is he just makes courses and they're all equally in depth and equal quality but it's like a coin toss whether this one's going to be free or this one's going to be paid so he has like a redux course which is like an advanced react thing that's like super popular and super in depth and is as big and comprehensive as any of his paid stuff but that one just happens to be free and half his stuff is free and half his stuff is paid and there's no like making little hook people in cheap crappy content it's like make everything awesome and make some of it free and some of it paid like it's 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 simpler that way too i think but mm-hmm. and that's, yeah that's why his email list is six figures and not four yeah huge <laughs> yeah yeah i love it it's just that like more wood behind fewer arrows idea i just i love like make a couple really good things as opposed to another junky you know, enter your email here for my PDF lead magnet thing for five more tips for how to whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah. And I think that was kind of like one of the cool things about what we were able to do is um, one thing I'm really proud of with like our list is that we didn't really like grow it by like promising people exclusive stuff that they had to sign up to the list to get. Like you do need to do that a little bit, but when you don't, it feels really good that like we were able to build a pretty big list just from people being like, I could find this content on medium. I could just subscribe to Steve's YouTube channel. I could just see you post this case study on Twitter when you're done. But I liked it enough that I would actually like to get it to my email, even though that's not the only way that I could find it. So here's my email address, you know? And I think that again, that just comes from the quality focus. Totally. And like, there's that, like that risk in your head. Like there's that, that, that like default reluctance to give someone your email. We're like, do I, eh, this is kind of like, a do I, do I want to hear from these people? And so I think the bar to get that is higher than people might guess. Like you want to blow past that bar of like, this is so good. I need to know when the next one comes out. That's what especially motivates. Especially when you're making something for technical people, I think. Yeah. Like, I mean, we That's do true. have like a bunch of mail and addresses and stuff from all these crafty people using their disposable email accounts or whatever. But like, we're the only group of people who do that sort totally. of thing, you know? Um Right. So yeah. I would say it's a yeah it's a much bigger feat to get a bunch of developers to give hand over their email address. I mean, developers are known for routinely calling like opt-in newsletters spam. You know, like one hundred percent. Adam and I were talking about that yesterday. Like, I rarely sign up to those things, and the only time I do sign up, I feel, is like 
this person deserves my email. Like they're, they just provide all this free content on Twitter or whatever medium they choose. And yeah. I kind of feel like, yeah, I owe my email to them, I guess. But and then I only read the emails. Like mm-hmm. if I do like a weekly email, I read it like maybe once a month kind mm-hmm. of thing. Call comes back to trust, right? Building that trust. So where are we at in the in the saga? You started making screencasts yeah. now. So the screencast was kind of the next thing. Yeah. Um, Those I were mean, pretty Steve unpopular, can probably right? talk more about the... Well, the screencasts were like wildly popular, oh. way more than I actually anticipated, uh, <laughs> to be honest. And like one screencast was like the front page of Reddit for a couple days. Do you want to talk about like the, the screencasts a little bit? As Adam said, like the screencasts kind of... We realized how much work it is to make a blog post. And I mean... The screencasts take a long time to make, but it's mostly just me making them. So Adam got a little bit of relief there. It feel then. easy for me, for sure. <laughs> like the original idea was to, I do like real time. Like if you've seen the screencasts, they're all like, like all this post-production, they're down to like 10, 15 minutes, right? But the original idea was that we do like a kind of a real time, like I kind of redesign it the same way that you're kind of seeing me do, but I'll sped up, but like, it would take me like an hour to do it, right? And I'm talking through the process. And the idea of doing a screencast like that gave me a lot of anxiety. Like, I, I can't do screencasts the way like um, you guys do. Like, you guys are really like, really good at articulating your thoughts on the fly where my, like the final version of what you see, it's, it's super scripted. Like, it takes me a long time to make that. And this guy does this YouTube channel called Binging with Babish. And it's like, he takes recipes from like popular TV shows and kind of, remakes them and talks about how to make them and shows you the recipe afterwards right he kind of does the same thing where it's like super all his post-production makes it all sped up and it's down to like a nice five minute video and i'm thinking that's totally how i need to do it and then i can do the voiceover afterwards and even add some music in the background to give it like a cool feel but they're just kind of like fun to watch right it's it's like the content there's i think there's some really good insights in there that you can take away and apply to your own design but I think for the most part is that they're just super, it's more inspirational than anything. Yeah. What was the subreddit that it was popular on? Was it the oddly satisfying subreddit? No, it was on like, um, what's it called? Artisan videos. Artisan videos. Oh, yeah. I love that subreddit. I didn't even heard of that subreddit before it was posted. Yeah, artisan videos is like experts at their craft doing it well. And like just like a video of pe- watching someone work who knows what they're doing, which I could totally see your screencast falling into. Yeah, it was just trending on there. Like, so I was just getting, like, I posted the video, I went to bed, and the next morning I had like thousands of views. I'm like, what is going on here? Where is this all coming from? And I couldn't figure it out. And then someone tweeted at me saying, it's on artisan videos. I'm like, oh, I've never heard of that subreddit. And I went to check it out, and there it is. I wouldn't be surprised if it were also on Oddly Satisfying, because it, it, having watched them, it, it definitely is. Yeah, like, I mean, if you go to Reddit and like go to search and you, I'm always curious. I type in refactoring UI and it's on a few. It's, it is on web dev. It is on. Adam, you edited those, right? You did the post-production. Nope. One. Steve did everything. Oh, really? He did a great job. He even composed the background music. Yeah, the himself. background music is an original. I didn't original know that. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. They're all like taking samples from like a, like one of those royalty-free sites, you know? Sure. But those videos have a special place in my heart because you did one on the tuple landing page. Yes. That's the most recent one, as in like eight months ago. But yeah, <laughs> yeah I've been meaning to do more, but uh, I wanted to do them in the process of when we were working on the book, but like the book took so much time to make. And I want to do them again in the new year. Um, it sounds like things were kind of staggered where there were periods, periods of time where you were focusing on just creating really high quality free stuff to share around. And then like once you got really down to 
like creating the book content, did you have to slow down on some of that? Or did you allocate like 20% of your time to doing the free stuff and 80% to the book? Or what was what did that kind of look like? I think the, the, the hack to that is basically you make the free content stuff from the book or stuff around the process of making the book. So just try to kill as many birds with the same stone as possible. A yeah. hundred birds, just like big rock, <laughs> dead. Boulder. <laughs> but, <off cliff. laughs> um, yeah. So when we got like really into working on the book, um, we kind of switched gears to, to not posting as much like tutorial style content and more just like sharing behind the scenes stuff because people really love that too and that was just kind of our way of trying to keep our audience engaged and trying to make sure people weren't forgetting about what we were doing yeah i like i said i wanted to keep doing like your even your tuple one that one was like i was kind of stressing out like i haven't made a video in a while and i don't know what i'm going to do next and i think i'm just messaged me saying you should do ben's site because it sucks uh he showed me what you <laughs> currently had and it was it was uh Kind of like inspired by what Adam did with the Vue.js, his or advanced view component design course. Yeah, it was a weak ass ripoff of Adam's site. Well, I mean, that's what you got to do, right? When you don't, I struggled with that when I first started designing and I would just steal designs and, you know, you kind of learn your own style after a while. But yeah. Okay. I forgive myself. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I don't know if it's, uh, if it matters for the story, I think it's kind of relevant, but with like the videos, so in terms of like our mailing list, after we put out that blog post, that Medium blog post that did really well, the next thing was just sending out the videos as Steve did them. So he actually did the first three like in pretty rapid succession. So we actually sent out three emails in April with the first three videos. And that started to grow the, the mailing list a lot too. So by the time he sent out like the third screencast, we had like 14,000 people on that list. When is this? That was April 26th of 2018. So that was at 14,000 people. And then two more screencasts after that, including the tuple one. The tuple one was the last one on June 14th. And by that point, we had that list up to just under 20,000 people who were just interested in getting more refactoring UI content when it was ready. And then um, we announced the book in on August 9th, it looks like, is when we sent out the email. And that went out to 20,037 people just saying, hey, here's a book that we're working on. And that redirected people to this other landing page where people had to sign up again because GDPR. Then the saga of creating and, and kind of pre-marketing the book directly sort of begun. When we do email, we we say on Twitter we're, we're sending out an email. I feel like from when we send an email out to like after we send the email out, we get like 5,000 new subscribers within that period because it's just yeah. like... Like people start sharing the content of the email elsewhere on the internet. and Yeah, yeah. That was like um, a tip that I mentioned during my microconf talk that I think has really worked well for me with all my product launches is when you're going to, if you're like one of the hardest things about like growing an email list when you, especially like in, in our case, we were able to grow this list just because people wanted to get the new content for a long time. And, and this was kind of the first product launch I've done where I've had a list like that. Every other product launch I've done, there was no list until I announced that I was working on a product and the list served purely to collect people who are interested in the, in the product, right? And like my, my audience that I'd be announcing that stuff to existed only in my other channels, like Twitter, it would be my main one. Um, so with this one, we were able to build up a, a big list before that, which was cool. But usually when you announce a product, you get a lot of signups for people interested in the first couple of days. And then like you stop getting signups completely. So you have to figure out a way to like, 
get people to keep signing up. And one of the simplest ways to do that that's worked for me is anytime I'm going to send out an update to my list about progress on the thing that I'm working on, I pre-announce that I'm sending that update through my other channels. So I'll always post on Twitter a couple hours before I'm going to send out an email, sometimes even a day before being like sending out an update tomorrow with this free content or that includes the table of contents or that has this behind the scenes details, whatever. Um, and that'll kind of drive people to the landing page and get more people to sign up because you're letting them know in advance that there's interesting content that if they're interested, they have to go there to get it sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Does that ever backfire and you get people being like, oh, I missed this. Can I get the email? Always, every single time. Yeah, so what um, do you do? So I just DM people on Twitter with like a, the shareable link to like the ConvertKit email. So I have sent it out twice in the past. Um, like there's an example here where I sent one out on September 13th with the first sample chapter. And there was all these people who were like, oh, I didn't sign up till after. I really want the chapter. How do I get it? So I just created a segment in ConvertKit for people who signed up after I, se- I sent the first broadcast email. One of and the problems we had was like we had, because we had two mailing lists at this point now. Yeah, that was an annoyance. We had the book email list and we had just the general refactoring UI updates mail list. Yeah. And people thought when they signed up for the general updates, they were getting the book updates as well. And so there's some confusion there. Yeah. So I think in hindsight, I I don't know how, I don't really know what we should have done, but what kind of sucks is like, technically, if someone signs up saying they want to, to get emails about free content, I'm not really allowed to send them emails about book updates because they didn't consent to that. You know what I mean? Like that's like the new GDPR rules. Now I barely care because like about it from a legal standpoint, because like we exist in Canada, but I do still kind of care about it from just like a, they signed up for X and it's kind of annoying that I'm spamming them with Y sort of thing. Right. But it did create a bunch of confusion with people who would go to refactoringui.com instead of refactoringui.com slash book and sign up. And then they wouldn't get the emails because we were just segmenting just to people who signed up on the other landing page. So so what we did, right, is we created this landing page for the book, drove a bunch of people there. It's kind of silly because like we weren't even leveraging our existing list with like the updates. We built this list. The only way that we were able to leverage it initially is we sent out an email to them saying, we're writing a book. If you're interested in getting updates on the book, just click this link. And then we would tag them as a, in ConvertKit so that I felt like comfortable sending them updates about something because I actually opted in. Um, so like when we sent out the email saying we're writing a book, that went out to 20,000 people. But the first email that we sent out that was like an update on the progress of the book, that only went out to 7,400 people because I didn't send it to their other list as well. But it was still really valuable for us to have that other list to ask people to opt into the book. And then when the book was actually available, I didn't feel bad about just sending one email saying, hey, by the way, we did just finish that book we were talking about. We didn't bother you the whole time we were working on it. But if you are interested, here it is. Um, So when we sent out that email, we were able to send it to, you know, a large number of people. So got it. Yeah. Okay. So I want to maybe push a little bit further on in the history into when you decided to expand past the scope of the book and add additional stuff to it. So that was kind of like a decision from the beginning. Um, we didn't know what we would do, but there's this just problem in the world of creating digital books where there's like a market rate for a digital book, right? And this was something that we came up against after we announced pricing and stuff anyways, where people don't really want to spend more than 
30 or $40 on an ebook because of what it costs to buy a paperback book at the grocery store or what it costs to buy something on Amazon, right? And it speaks nothing to like the value of the content or the, the effort that was put into creating it. It's just this format commands this price, no matter what the content is. And I think that's why you see a lot of people doing courses these days instead of books, because you can put the exact same information into, even if it's not like a video course, even if it's just like, a course that's all text, but on like one of these online course platforms and it's information that otherwise would have been in a book, you can charge $200 for it instead of 30 and people are like, oh, but it's a course. So I'll pay $200 for a course. The only way to really like battle that preconceived notion that people have is to figure out a way to get people to evaluate the product without being able to compare it to other stuff. And the only way to do that is by adding additional stuff that makes it no longer a book and makes it a package of things. So if you can add videos, if you can add, like we had a bunch of ideas for interesting, what I think are really valuable additional resources that we created, but we, we are trying to make something that's worth our while to make, right? Like something that's actually going to be worth all this investment that we've put in over like two years trying to build this audience and stuff. So just putting together like a $19 ebook is not going to cut it, especially when you have to like split that between two people. Cause you have, you have no idea how successful it's going to be, right? Like for a lot of these info product launches, if you sell like 500 copies on the first day, like that's really, really, really good. And if we sold 500 copies of something that was $29, that would be $14,000 that we both have to split. And that's going to be the biggest day of sales we ever get. And yeah, like $14,000 is a cool amount of money, but it's not really a great amount of money for two years of work, especially like when Steve quits his consulting jobs for three months to work on it full time, making no income. So we can try and get the thing done by the time we want to get it done. So the only way for us to make sure that like, we're going to, that there's going to be enough of an ROI for it, for it to be worth it for us is to figure out a way to drive the average revenue per customer up to like a hundred bucks or more, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is that like getting back to that equation that I shared earlier, like subscribers times conversion rate times price. Yeah, exactly. So you focused on the subscribers, but if you had whiffed on price and like like well, an ebook costs twenty nine dollars, so there we go, that's our price point. You yeah. would have not done quite as well. Totally. Yeah. So we decided we kind of hummed and hawed over what we were going to do for my first product. I did like three tiers where it was like a book, then a book plus videos, then a book plus videos plus additional content. And that's kind of a strategy I picked up from Nathan Barry. Um, he kind of had a really good blog post that was actually on Jason Cohen's blog as like a guest post kind of talking about his approach to pricing tiers for info products. Um, so we thought about doing that. And then the more we thought about it, it was kind of like, do we think most people are, are going to be happy to pay more and get more? If so, like why even create like some really cheap thing? Why not just have the thing that's like 150 bucks? That's more money. If, if we think people are going to be happy to pay it, then, you know, what's the point in like offering like cheaper and less comprehensive versions of it? You know, I think tiering makes a lot of sense when you're trying to like tier up when it's like, I have this thing, this is the core product. Um, there are some people who are going to be willing to pay me more. So I should give them the opportunity to, to pay more by maybe adding in some, a coaching call or, you know, whatever. 
as like an additional tier. But for us, we kind of saw like the core product as being this thing that had all the additional resources in the videos because they're all really complemented each other. And it was like, do we really want to like strip things out of what we see as the core product to offer cheaper versions? Like that kind of seems like backwards to what the actual mindset is when you're trying to do this price tiering, where you're really trying to give people the opportunity to pay you more not give people the opportunity to pay you less. Um, so eventually we decided, let's just do it really, really, really simple and just charge one price for one tier um, and just make it a bit of a higher price. So instead of having maybe like a $50 tier, a $100 tier, and like a $200 tier, we decided, why don't, why don't we just take what we would have put in like a $200 tier and just offer it at like 150 So maybe the people that would have paid 99 are still willing to sort of come up. And people who are going to, who only wanted to spend 49 or whatever, like, if we lose some of those people, it's, it's the math is probably going to work out where it's still better for us to do it this way, you know? So how do people respond to having one price point? People were unhappy. Um, <laughs> so we had a lot of complaints and that was really stressful for us. So, I mean, at this point, we had basically finished the content. Um, we were up to like four in the morning, like the last three nights trying to get everything done. And um, we sent out this email like two days before when we were going to launch it. That's, that's kind of how I've always done it. Like um, I send out an email two days before the actual launch that has all of the information, all the pricing, blah, blah, blah. Get people sort of like give them the information so that when it's actually released, they don't have to make a decision. It's And then when we release it, we just send out a much simpler email that's just kind of like, hey, it's out now. Here's a link. Like all the information is on the landing page if you didn't read the other email or whatever. Um, so we sent out that email on Sunday night, I think. We released it on a Tuesday and sent out that email on a Sunday. And um, there was just a lot of people complaining like $149 is way too much for a PDF. That's like what people were saying, which is true, but that's not what we were selling. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, not all PDFs are created equally, right? <laughs> and it's it's not even that. It's just like, we had a bit of a problem where it's like the URL for the product is slash book. The image in the hero is like a picture of a book, but what we actually created was a lot more than that. And we had to work really hard leading up to the actual launch to try and kind of communicate that and get people looking at it as what we actually wanted people to see it as and not just as a book. Um, but we still kind of had to, we still struggled with people complaining about the price because they're thinking, Oh, it's, I'm only paying for the book. Everything else has no value because I'm thinking of it as a book. And um, yeah, a lot of people complained. So we were really, 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 really stressed about that, worried that it was going to like sabotage the whole launch. Um, so we thought about it for a long time, tried to figure out like what we could do. And ultimately we decided to add a, a second tier that included a, a bunch less content um, just to sort of try and make people happy. Because like with everything I've launched, I've always gotten backlash about pricing. There's always a couple people who complain, but most of the response you get from like that, that pricing information email, there's so many people who are replying like, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait, right? They just want to buy it and they're excited. And it's like, that feels good. Um, with this email, basically it was like, it was inverted. So there was like 95% of the emails we got were negative. And then there was like 5% of people who were excited. And that mm -hmm. was like scary. How are you feeling at this point, Steve? I was the one getting all the emails too. Uh, so I was the one reading them, yeah. off the, reading them off the ad. I'm like, uh, this is really bad, dude. I don't know what, what we got to do here. So yeah, it was incredibly stressful. Furthermore, like I haven't slept for like two days at this yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> so you have like no and ability. I, I had so much more work to do at this point, And 
I didn't have time to reply to these emails explaining like what you get. And it's so they kind of got left unanswered for a little bit there. And uh, mm. it was a very stressful time. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I remember talking to Adam during that. You, you messaged me something and you were you were in a bad way. Yeah, man, it was rough. It was uh, it sucks when you work so hard and bust your ass, like put something together that you've been like you've been trying to like you've been basically building up to this point for like two years and we make like what feels like one huge mistake that feels like it could have like blown the whole thing. And it's just like, just a heartbreaking feeling. (laughs) Um, So we kind of, we kind of just figured out, okay, well let's do a second tier. It was tricky to even figure out like, how do we deal with this? Like, do we send out an email, say like, we're sorry, we screwed up the pricing. So many people complained. We've offered a cheaper tier. I didn't want to do that because it just like looks so weak. You know what I mean? Um, so instead what we did is when we created like a web version of the email that we sent out f- so we could share it on Twitter with people who weren't on the list so they could kind of get all the launch information. And when I created that version, we just added the second tier. Um, so anyone who saw it there saw it with the second tier. And then when we sent out the actual email saying it's available, uh, I included more information there than I normally would and just kind of reiterated the two pricing tiers and just kind of said, you know, we've created two packages, blah, blah, blah. I didn't address the fact that like people had complained or anything like that because I, I don't think it's good to get kind of all caught up in that drama. I think it's just better to just kind of like address it, don't apologize, um, and you know just put it out there. And and a lot of people responded saying like, you know, thanks for doing this. Like a lot of people were saying on Twitter like, wow, it's so amazing how you guys responded to this problem and addressed it right away. Blah 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 blah. So people were people noticed and were were happy about it like the people who were kind of bummed and i think ultimately at the end of the day it was the right move in hindsight like even if people hadn't complained i think probably it, it worked out better that we did it that way and we probably just should have done it that way um but yeah we can kind of get into more of the effects of that and and stuff like that i know a little bit of the the ending of the story so i'm actually eager to get to that point so you you offered people this choice and said, okay, we've heard you. There's been a lot of, or you didn't quite say this, but in your minds, you know, there's a lot of complaints about the high price. Let's offer a low price option. And then when you gave it to mm-hmm. people, what happened? Everyone still bought the high price. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is great. I think that just speaks to the fact that we sent out that, e- from that email with the launch details to 34,000 people, which is like, way bigger than any other list I've had when I've announced something. So everything is going to be amplified. First of all, like all the negativity is going to be eight times more than I would have gotten, even if it's the same percentage. Um, and then I think the other thing that made that work is just, I think psychologically, like this is just my gut feeling, but if you at least give people the choice to pay you less, when they pay you more, they feel like they did it because they decided to not because they were forced to mm-hmm. um so i think that helped yeah. too just brains being like kind of irrational as usual yeah anything else you wanted to say on that i don't think so like we sent out in total uh one two three three update emails that all included like a um a free book chapter and we pre-announced all those to help continue to grow the list um and then we sent out the launch email and then sent out the email saying it's available uh, two days after that. So on December 11th, we sent out that email. And then you also did um, launch pricing, like the prices now are discounted over what they eventually will go to. Yeah. Um, so 
we kind of set it up where the the kind of big package our our regular price for that would was going to be well is going to be 249 and at launch it's 149 so it's discounted by like 100 bucks and then for the the cheaper package um, that's going to be $99 regularly, but we offered it at $79 during the launch. So that was kind of like another, you know, little tactic, I guess, to try and encourage people to splurge for the bigger package is just making the discount more compelling there. A mistake I made with my very first product, I think, is I had launch pricing, but it was just like a percentage and I just made it the same percentage for every tier. And like, that's like the, just the, most obvious simple thing to do and then in hindsight a few months down the road i did like a black friday sale and i thought about it again and i was like if i want people to buy like the more valuable package like why don't i try and make that more compelling than the other ones um so we tried to do that uh right up front on this one Mm -hmm. so it's it's the moment of truth how many subscribers did the uh launch announcement go out to so the the email that we sent out um, saying like it is on the internet, you can buy it now. That went out to 34,290 people. And we sent that to both lists. So the people who just signed up for the book and the people who signed up for general updates. And those aren't, they're, they're not really separate lists, right? Like any duplicates would have only got the email once because it's just two different segments in the same app. But um, yeah, so that was the combined group of people who had entered their email into both places. Gotcha. And so as of today, and so that was... It's been a couple of weeks now. December eleventh, and it's January. I think third. Just now. over three weeks. Just over three weeks. Okay. And so, how many total purchases since then? Total purchases six thousand, and I'm waiting for a refresh here because the, the I haven't refreshed this page today. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I don't think we would have got over to the next thousand. Um, six thousand eight hundred and two sales. Uh, that's pretty nice. So that's, yeah. what is that, it's, 20% or so? Of that full list, yeah. And not all the sales came from the list. The email list is over 40,000 now, just from people who are signed up to get like the free previews on the website who didn't hear about the book till after or who weren't really interested until they started seeing testimonials from people yeah. and stuff. How many people bought the cheaper one? So the cheaper one was purchased by 1,459 people. And the more expensive one by 5306 And then we also had 38 sales that were team licenses, just like higher priced packages for companies who wanted to give access to everyone. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so definitely overwhelmingly the, the more expensive one got purchased. Yeah, especially in terms of revenue, right? So like 21.5% of all sales were for the, the lower tier. Um, but revenue-wise, it was only 12% of all revenue. Um, so even though it was like a quarter of all the sales, it was closer to 10% of actual revenue. That's so interesting. And so just because I've got you here, what's what's the total number at these days, all said and done? So the total number is at $911,305 US. Oof. Congrats, you guys. Which is nice. It's nice to being in, in Canada too. <laughs> so, and the exchange rate is in our very much in our favor to sell U.S. products right now. That's beautiful. I mean, two years of yeah. work, a lot of time for sure, but still, like, pretty awesome. Congrats on that. That's, that's wonderful. Still, still, way, 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 way exceeded our expectations. I think, and I think like the craziest part of the whole story that um, we didn't really talk about is we 
what I always do with these products and what we did with this one too, is we kind of did like a silent launch the night before, right? So we kind of just like get the website out there, make sure everything's working, kind of set up everything on Gumroad, make sure everything's good to go, kind of deploy it and just let it sit overnight without telling a soul that it's live. And by overnight, I mean, in this case, from 4.30 in the morning till eight in the morning, because that was the time period that we slept that night. So <laughs> So we, I didn't we, sleep at all. Like there was just like I was just so much excitement that I, I think I slept for five minutes. Yeah. So so we deployed it at like four thirty, and we kind of stayed online on a call for about fifteen minutes just to kind of see like is anyone going to notice? Because people knew it was coming that day, right? So there were people like periodically checking, and I think we sold like fifteen or sixteen copies in that like twenty minute period before we went to bed, and we were like, oh, that's pretty cool. And um, we went to bed for three and a half hours, and we got up at eight. And checked again, and we had done forty thousand dollars in sales without ever announcing to anyone that the book was even available. So that that is that is the one memory that like I will never forget. I think from this launch was just like checking that like with Steve and just like being floored because that that's and it's incredible number of of just people refreshing the page waiting to see if it's there. You know what I mean? Yeah. But before um, you guys launched, I like every time you tweeted about some of the refactoring UI stuff, someone would include that fry meme of like, shut up and take my money. Like every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which again, like that's just, I mean, something I talked about in my microconf talk about this launching info product stuff too is a lot of people say like the first step to validating like a, a product idea is to put up a landing page. And for me, I think that's actually like the very last step in validating like a product. Like with this book, we had sort of validated it for two years before we even put up a landing page. You know what I mean? And there was people tweeting, please tell me you're going to write a book. Please tell me you're going to write a book. Please tell me you're going to write a book well before we ever told anyone that we were going to do it. Um, so that was, of course, good. I don't think we even discussed writing a book before. Like. Well, you had kind of, we talked about this closer at the beginning of the podcast where you were kind of talking about doing one on your own and like. This was like a while ago before. Uh, yeah. Adam was even involved, like before I was even doing tips, I thought about doing a book and. Um, yeah. I didn't know if that was, like it would have been bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where the story culminates, I guess. Just, so Just for one more interesting number. What was, what was day yeah. one? So day one was three hundred eighty-four thousand dollars, which is insanity. That's <laughs> bananas. Um, like going into it, we kind of had like we were optimistic that it was going to do really well until the pricing debacle. Um, but even like my optimistic version in my head, I think Steve was more optimistic than me. He was like really excited, and my nature is to just like try and set my expectations low. But I was like. Dude, like, remember, like, my biggest launch I've ever done did 100,000 Canadian on the first day, which is, like, 82,000 U.S. So if we can do, like, 150,000 U.S. on the first day, that would be an enormous, 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 enormous launch. Um, and then it did, like, more than double that. So yeah, <sighs> pretty crazy it's, for sure. So, like, after the initial shock of that wears off, like, where you're at now, basically, like, do those numbers, are you desensitized to those now? Like, how do I think we are desensitized to them a little bit. And some of that, though, I think comes from, um, I don't know if Steve's as desensitized as me, maybe. Um, I'll, uh, there's there's two elements to it, I think. And maybe Steve can pitch in with kind of what he thinks. But for me, it's like we have a bunch of that money like in our bank account, but we don't actually have it individually because 
we're terrified to touch it until we talk to our accountant and make sure that we don't remove it in some tax disadvantaged way. You know what I mean? Um, so that's just kind of sitting there until we meet with the accountant next week. So it still kind of feels like uh, off limits money. Um, and then I think the other thing for, for me is like, I have had like three really successful product launches before, and I'm sort of in a place where I own my time and I have like the, f- the freedom and flexibility to work on the things that interest me. And, you know, I, I still put out new stuff. I still do sales and, and try to make money and stuff like that. But for the most part, I feel like very financially like independent in a sense. Like I, f- I feel like I get to do what I want with my time. And it just so happens that what I like doing with my time also helps make me money and is stuff that's valuable to the community. But again, like my Monday to Friday, nine to five is like, I come into my office and that's like a really exciting period for me. Cause it's like, I get to come in here and do what I want, what I'm excited about. And for Steve, like you were working like doing contracting stuff, which you enjoyed, you had a good setup, but like, this is like your first time sort of experiencing that, like, wow, like this moment of freedom, you know what I mean? So like, I think what's awesome for you is you kind of get this like feeling now that I got when I launched my first product and I'm like excited for you because of that, because it was like such an amazing feeling to feel like, oh my God, like I don't need to do what someone else tells me for money anymore. I don't think it hit me in quite the same way. Because I remember when you're like, this is maybe just the optimistic me and pessimistic you, but um, I know I remember when you were launching your first project and talk, talking to you when you're launching uh, Refactor to Collections. And you told me your expectations, and I'm like, oh, those are really good. And, and, but then it, it exceeded your expectations. And then you're like, wow, I actually have freedom now, right? Yeah. I had a little bit of expectation going to this one. Like you were expecting to sort of get your freedom from it? Yeah, in some in some way or another, right? Not this much, but I was had a little bit of expectation there, so it didn't hit me. I don't know if it hit me in quite the same way, and mm-hmm. I don't even know if it's hit me yet. If it's kind of like this weird. Plus, the other thing is like I was off for three months working on this prior on to. Like, I already had this. Yeah. Kind of- you had sort of like this really slow transition. Whereas like for me, it was like I was working a job. I released the book. Then I got married literally the week after went on my honeymoon. And the day I came back from my honeymoon, I quit my job. <laughs> um, I mean, it's still very exciting. I don't want to like take it for granted, but it's 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 hard to like. Yeah, I think um, I think it might hit you more slowly as you get to like the springtime. And it's like, man, I've just, I've just kind of been doing what I enjoy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when we first started working the project, we... We originally wanted to like launch it. We're like, well, we can start the book this day and get it done by this day. And that all, like always got pushed back, right? Until it ended up yeah. being released in December. But like I always pictured the moment being released in like summertime and I'd go out and walk my dog and I'd have this feeling of like, yes, I made it, right? But it was it was there's like snow on the ground and I couldn't do you know what I mean? And you're like dead tired and there's like five hundred support emails and <laughs> We took a break and went out for lunch that day, and that was a nice feeling. But that was like the only break for a 
couple it's always weeks. more <laughs> it's always more hard fought than you imagine right like or than it looks on the outside it looks like oh they've just been they just you know assembled together all these hot tips and sold the thing and made a bunch of money but like under the surface it's always you know there's a lot of work and a lot of late nights and like adam had that like time off freedom but i was like i was working a lot like where i was work, i'd work like my eight hour day for um i was working with titan and taylor at the time and but then in the evenings i'd be doing working on the tips or working on something that's related to this project so i was working long days um where adam had like a, a nice more condensed day and the last two months of working on the book i was doing like 12 hour days there that was yeah for a long time yeah there was an, yeah when i was reading an early version of the book i was like shocked at how many images there were and like it's like way too many you images. were like you're like adam's like i'm working on the words and steve is doing the images and it's like a chapter is like 200 words and then like eight different complex images yeah it's like it's like a picture book yeah yeah and steve was illustrated so funny so he had dude, hard. i was uh, i was uh i was reading my daughter a book in the bath yesterday and it's like this my first words book or something and there's six words in the book it's like heart star house turtle something else right and i i noticed for the first time like on the back of the book after i finished reading it that like they had the audacity to say author and then the person's name and it just kind of made me feel like that's kind of me on this. Book. <laughs> <laughs> um, although I feel like I did contribute a lot, but yeah, um, yeah, it yeah this is... project wouldn't be the same without Adam. It wouldn't be Adam's like just far better articulating. Like we worked on the concepts together um, a lot. So like, but he's just far better articulating the ideas than I would be. Um, and he brings that developer point of view um, that I can't bring to it. But the images they killed me they were they were like like i probably got maybe a little too carried away like i would design entire uis like entire applications to communicate how to do a drop yeah. shadow and for the longest time like we really tried to avoid like reusing an example like if we ha if we came up with like some chat ui we only wanted to use it to demonstrate like one point we didn't want that to like reappear in another chapter um because it just felt like yeah being i think i designed a few airline companies and i designed a few yeah. eventually eventually we recycled something well we got a little lazy like it like and it wasn't even lazy it's like well like it's just like the like how many was... how, how creative can you be when you're making 250 images it's right? more than like, that but yeah yeah just, but... <laughs> i think it was like 300 probably at the end wow. um yeah that's, that's brutal also steve you must be pretty okay at uis these days uh yeah i mean i'm kind of like i just did the project with you and i was yeah like, yeah so I, was, I was kind of burnt out doing that i'm sure <laughs> i felt horrible asking you i felt horrible delivering it <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh Dad, good sorry man i'm just i'm so burnt out um it was uh, this is bad timing like we not steve and i had talked like months ago like hey like are you cool doing uh, the tuple UI. It's like, yeah, totally. And then it was like, I know you just did a book where you designed like hundreds of UIs all at once, but uh, we are launching pretty soon. Yeah. So. But I put it together and uh, I don't know, it's better than what you had. I'll give you that. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you fighting through the the, the assured burnout. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I can take a look at it again if you want. No, no, no. no stop, stop, stop. <laughs> it's great. It's great. I'm excited to put it together. 
All right. Well, that is cool. This is the longest art of product by far, I think. So I think we got to wrap it. But that was that was great. That was exactly what I was hoping it would be. I wanted to get the full saga while it was fresh for you guys and, and capture all those details. I think people will find it super valuable. So I'm psyched that uh, we did it. I appreciate you both being so open and honest with all that stuff. Thanks for having us. I hope people who are interested in doing this sort of thing keep their expectations reasonable. You should be very, 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 very happy and excited to do a $20,000 launch. You know what I mean? Like that's huge. When I did my first book, it did $24,000 on the first day or something. And I remember even when I did like the first $2,500, I was like shaking. I couldn't even believe that it had made that much money. It was, it was so obviously we had like a, a really incredible launch way bigger than I ever expected and way bigger than I ever expect to ever have and anything I ever do again. Um, but don't ever go into any of these things feeling like if you have to get this sort of level of success for it to be a success because, uh, yeah, you don't. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you saying that. I was telling you the other day, it's, it's hard to make an info product when you're friends with Adam Wathen because the numbers are all, they all feel ridiculously small, <laughs> <laughs> but you do it well. So you deserve it. Both of you. Thanks. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks for being on. It's great to talk to you. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Art of Product show notes, Mr. Derek. Can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. How about that? <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye-bye.